0: All right, why don't you take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 11. Tricked you, didn't I? We are going to be in Matthew chapter 6 for most of our morning, but we were going to start in Hebrews 11. It's a chapter we've already read from together some this morning, a chapter that you're probably familiar with. It's this chapter where the, the writer of Hebrews takes us on a journey back through history, back through the Bible, and reminds us of some of the men and women who lived their lives with a remarkable faith in God. He reminds us of the faith of, of Abel and, and Enoch, of Noah, of Abraham, of Sarah, of Moses and others. He brings all these people together in this one chapter to show us what it looks like in real life to trust God. God and to believe him even when it's hard to believe. One of the things that always stands out to me about this chapter, about these heroes and their faith, is that they recognized that there was something ahead, right? That there was, there was something that we're moving towards. And I think sometimes we either don't think about it or we don't fully believe it, but they they recognize that there's something, there's something greater, there's something more valuable than anything that we can gain in our lives here. There's something more ahead, and they lived for that. And they believed that what's coming, what's ahead, it's, it's worth whatever sacrifices we have to make today, right? So they did things that in the moment didn't make sense, at least not by earthly standards. They went to hard places. They did hard things. Some of them even gave their lives. Others walked away from things that would have been comfortable, that would have been rewarding in this life for the sake of of God and the promise ahead. My favorite example today in Hebrews chapter 11, because those things change, don't they? But my favorite example today in, in Hebrews 11 is the example of Moses. Because remember, Moses was, was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was ha- raised in a royal family by adoption. And he could have stayed there and had all the advantages of that royal family position. But instead, he chose to leave that family and to go back to his people, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, and to lead them. So here's what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 24. says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking for the reward. That's what I'm talking about. By earthly standards, Moses had hit the jackpot, right? He was born (laughs) among slaves, adopted by chance, many of you know the story, into royalty, and he could have stayed there. But here's what what we're told. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead for the reward. And this is the kind of faith we read about over and over in in Hebrews 11. People who had this perspective that this world is not all there is, but we're living for something more. There's something greater to be invested in beyond this life. And it's so great that it's worth whatever sacrifices we have to make today. Let's go back to verse 13. We read this together earlier. Speaking of those who did hard things that went hard places by faith in God, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised in this life, but having greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have had the opportunity to return. but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. They believed and he says, in this life they didn't they didn't see it all, but they believed and God honored their faith and He has prepared for them a city. Some of you may have Grown up, singing the same song I did. I won't sing it or put the twang on it, but this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Expresses this attitude, this outlook that's described in Hebrews 11, that these people of great faith were living for something future and greater. Something that can't be seen yet, but they believed it was worth living for and sacrificing for. This chapter, Hebrews 11, is full of people who did countercultural things, unnatural things, because they saw themselves as citizens of a different kingdom, people of a different world. And if you've been with us, you know this is exactly what we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is calling us to live as citizens of his kingdom, and I've said over and over that this means that we are going to live counterculturally, that we are going to do things, we're going to Function in ways we're going to make choices and decisions that are different, and that other people may look into our lives and say, That doesn't seem normal, (laughs) doesn't seem logical. But this is the call of the Christian to, to live as citizens of the kingdom of God while in the world, to love the things that God loves. To value the things that God values, to hate the things that God hates, to live in a way that reflects His heart. It's countercultural, it's not natural. Our natural instinct is, your natural instinct is, my natural instinct is, to live for ourselves. And what we can do, and this is where our sin is so apparent, we can live for ourselves even while saying we're living for God and doing things that outwardly look godly. And this is where we've been over the past several weeks in Matthew chapter six, leading up to our passage. Go ahead and turn there to to Matthew six. Let me just remind you over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at these three different paragraphs. Jesus talked about, giving to the poor, and the temptation to, to give, to be generous, not for the sake of praising God or honoring God, but for what? For the praise of men. The same can be true of prayer, that we, we pray not to communicate with God, but so that we can be seen. We, we fast not to seek fellowship with God, but to show how spiritual we are. And each of these cases, we have the instruction from Christ Don't live for the praise of men. Live for the praise of God. Don't live for what you can get now. Live for him and for what's coming. And so this has been the the consistent theme through those three paragraphs that we can live for the praise of the world, but when we do, we forfeit the reward that comes from God. And as we come to our passage this morning, starting in verse 19, this theme continues. This theme of God having something better for us, the question is, who are we living for? What are we living for? Do we have the same value system as anyone else in the world? Or are we truly living as people who live at a different standard for a different purpose because we have a different king? To use the words of Hebrews 11, are we living for a better country a heavenly one, or for the fleeting pleasures that the world can offer. And I want to suggest that our passage this morning gives us three ways to check our hearts and to consider who or what are we living for. Okay? Three sections. What are we living for? What are we focused on? Who are we serving? And I want to encourage you and myself, first us all, to consider our hearts this morning and to ask the question, as I look at my life, as I look at how I'm living, the choices I'm making, what I value, what I'm pursuing, what am I investing in? Am I living for what I can get here and now, or am I truly living for, for God and for what's to come? And this is a question, church, that we must answer individually and together as a church. I'm going to go off my notes for a second, so bear with me. These are things that we could be susceptible to, not only individually, but as a church. We could choose to live for what we can have here. Or we could say, no, what we have here is for the sake of Christ and the world. And so we're going to do this together, not for our own comfort, although there's comfort here, isn't there? But we're going to do this not only for, for us, but for the future reward, for eternal things. We're going to invest together as a people in what's to come. But we need to ask, we need to evaluate, and Jesus helps us here, evaluate what are we living for, what are we focused on, who are we actually serving? Okay, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 19 to 24. Hope you'll follow along as I read. Hear the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Familiar verses, right? At least the, the, the outer sections, maybe not the middle section, because that one gets skipped a lot. But the treasure part and the master's part, familiar passages to most of us. But I, I do want to encourage, us one of the reasons we work through the, the Bible the way we do, it's because we don't want to just grab these passages and pull them out. We want to see where they fit in the context to see the flow of what Christ is doing here. He's helping us see what it looks like to truly live as citizens of his kingdom. And the question at this point is do we love what he loves? Do we value what he values? So, again, the last three sections in verse 4 give in secret so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6 pray in secret so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18. Fast in secret so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The point is, it's better to live for the reward of God than the reward and the praise of men. And the same point continues into our section this morning. As we have this call from Jesus to check our hearts, three different ways he's encouraging us to think through what we value and what we hope for. And the first one is there in 19. The question is, Where are we trying to lay up treasures? Where are we trying to accumulate? That's a hard word. Where are we trying to accumulate wealth? Let me say this at the top. I don't want to miss this point. These verses are about money, okay? However, these verses are not only about money. So don't miss that either. Jesus pushing us to see that we are all investing. We're all building all the time. We're all trying to store and to, to accumulate what we think we need, whether it's money, things, experiences, pleasures. We are all in the, the business of, of accumulating. And he says there's two different places that you can store up. You can store up treasures on earth, and you can store up treasures in heaven, and he's, he's helping us to see that there is a, a choice to be made, a choice that reveals where our heart is. So let's go back to Hebrews 11 for a minute. You don't have to turn there, but just remember Moses. He had a choice to make, and by earthly standards, it made more sense to stay in the house of Pharaoh. But Moses knew there was something more valuable. Than earthly wealth or earthly status. So he chose to go and live in the wilderness with the people of God. By earthly standards doesn't make much sense, but it takes us back to the point that the ways of the kingdom of God are, are countercultural and it's against what comes naturally. We're inclined to live our lives for, for what we can get now. Jesus is talking about money and possessions. The way we use our money, the way we think about money, it says something about what we love and about what we value. It reveals our hearts. So so just ask yourself the question, what am I living to accumulate? For some, it is money. For some, it's not the money itself, but it's the house, or it's the car that money can buy. For some, it's not the, the money or the house, or the car, but it's that sense of security that comes when we have that that money. We all have things that we crave and desire. For some, the temptation isn't really money at all. But you cannot love money, and not love things, and still be drawn to earthly treasure. Think about it this way. You may not value money or pursue money, but your treasure, that treasure you want is that piece of paper that you can hang on the wall that says, I got that degree. Or it could be that job with that office that gives you that status, and that is what consumes you. That's that earthly treasure for you. It could be, and this one's tough because it sounds really good. I want to have this particular kind of family, right? and we're together, and we love each other, and we're on barbecuing on the weekend, and cousins and friends, and I just want to have this, this family. Families are good. Education isn't wrong. Careers aren't bad. But the question is, what are, we, what are we holding up as ultimate? What are we investing in as primary? We can all be tempted to try and build the perfect life, to build the perfect kingdom, And notice what Jesus says about earthly kingdoms and earthly treasures. Verse 19, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Bottom line translation, everything you have and see is temporary and fleeting. It can all be destroyed. It can all be taken away. We know this is true. We all do. We know that we could Build great wealth, and it could all be gone in one bad investment. We could give all our energy weekend after weekend to the house and the yard. That's for me. We, we could do it all. One tornado, one fire, it's gone. We could give all our focus to a career or position and then someone could walk in our office one day and say, thank you for your time. And it's gone. Wealth isn't bad. Homes aren't bad. In fact, we can go to other places in scripture and see that there are godly people who are wealthy. In Acts, we're told that there were were some people who had houses big enough for the church to meet in. Big houses aren't bad. Godly people who had position and power and status. It's not the things that are wrong. But Jesus wants us to just recognize they're temporary. They're not ultimate. To push it further, there may be some things that you get and you get to enjoy for the rest of your life. But did you read Ecclesiastes with us recently? It all goes away. Or maybe you're thinking like I did of the story that Jesus told. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12 about a a profitable farmer, a wealthy guy. This is Luke 12. Jesus told a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And that man thought to himself, What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and goods. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. God said to that man, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, doesn't it? I do think it's worth noting, he doesn't say, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Treasure is not necessarily wrong, but the problem is that he's not rich towards God. He's not focused on what's ultimate. It's a reminder that everything we have in this life, everything we we gain, it's all temporary, it's fleeting, If we invest in the things of earth, we're investing in temporary things. It reminds me of, I've shared this quote with you before, a missionary named Jim Elliott, who who died on the mission field, killed by those whom he went to serve. He said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose, which is true. We aren't fools if we let go of temporary things in order to get eternal things, which leads to the next verse. That's what Jesus says. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither raw, rust, excuse me, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the alternative. Instead of investing or storing up things that are temporary, he says, invest and store up things that are eternal. Let me say this again. It's a passage about money, but it's not only a passage about money, because we're all investing in something. You may not have a lot of money, but friend, this is for you. Because you're investing time and energy and focus, good years of your life. Every one of you you're in the prime of your life. I'm just gonna tell you. You're, you're in the prime of your life. This is the time when you can invest. Even if you're poor, we need this encouragement from Christ. We all have treasures and things that we're giving our lives to. And Jesus wants us to know there are ways to invest our lives and our things in ways that are eternal. We can live for things that will last forever. And each of us should be thinking about the ways this applies. There's a thousand of them. The most obvious one from this text is our money. How we use our money matters. It it reveals our hearts. The way you spend your money reveals what you love, what you crave, what you desire, what you trust in. You can go look at your credit card statement or your bank account statement this afternoon, and you can tell pretty quickly how things rank. So we'll get in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart and our treasure go hand in hand. We will give our attention and our resources to what we love. Your investments reveal your heart. If we love God, we will give to things that God loves. If we love the church, we will give to support the church. If we love others, we will be generous towards others. The way we spend our money shows what we value the most. I'll say this again. This passage does not tell us that having money or wealth is bad. In fact, the scriptures commend stewardship and and savings and all these kinds of things. But the question is our hearts and our priorities. If you want to read more, if you want to think more about wealth and what God has to say about how we use our money, what it means to be rich. You can go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'll read just a portion of of it for you now. Paul says in Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty or proud and tell them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Because that's tempting, isn't it? If you have a lot, it's easy to trust what you have. He says, but tell them to set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God's the one who gives. And he even says he gives us things to enjoy. Set your hope on him, not on what you have. He goes on and says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Once again, sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying, doesn't it? Tell them to take their wealth. And friend, whatever extra you have, let me just remind you, you're wealthy in comparison to most of the people in the world. Whatever you have left after you've paid your bills, you you have something. And here's what God would say to the rich. I'm going to say we're all rich in here, okay? Believe me. Look at this, we're rich. He says, be generous. Thus storing up yourselves a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. He's saying, remember what's ultimate. Be a person who loves God and others so much that it impacts the way you use what you've been given. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which is not to say that Giving all of our money away will change our hearts. I wish it was that easy. What Jesus is saying is that the way we use the things that God has given us shows what we love. If you give all of your resources to what you can get for yourself, it's clear where your heart is. If we love God, we should desire to to give to him and to others to store up eternal treasure. The big idea of the passage is Jesus showing us what it means to have hearts, that are truly focused on the kingdom of God, I'm investing not in only what I have here, but in what's to come. I told you there's three things. The next two won't take quite as long. Three ways we can check our hearts. The first thing is check your treasures. Where, What are you investing in? Second, consider your vision. What are you focused on? Verse 22. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this verse is a little harder to understand. The the metaphor is not quite as clear, at least in our context. But it's connected to what we just saw in the previous verses. In 21, Jesus says that our treasure reveals where our heart is. And now he's telling us where our, our focus is. That's where our heart is. He uses this imagery of eyes, which represent our hearts, but set that aside and just follow the metaphor for a second. He's saying our eyes are what bring in. So he says, eyes bring light into the body, okay? It's through our eyes that things come in. And what comes in through our eyes affects who we are and affects how we think. Healthy eyes or good eyes are letting in lots of light, and we all know the imagery of the Bible, what light represents and what darkness represents. Light is the things of God. Darkness represents the things of of evil. He says, good and healthy, clear eyes are letting in lots lots of light. But if our eyes are bad, if our sight's unclear, there's darkness coming in instead of light. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Pun fully intended. He wants us to see this that if we focus on the things of God, if we have eyes that are open and receiving the things of God, our lives will reflect that. But if our focus is on ourselves and the thing of the world, our eyes aren't open to the things of God, then our lives will reflect that. So again, we see this connection between our heart and our actions. Just like we can invest our lives in eternal things, we can have eyes that are set on earthly things or eternal things. And if we set our eyes on earthly things, there will be a certain result. And if we set our eyes on eternal things, there will be a different result. So the question is, how are your eyes? Right? Are our eyes healthy and focused on the things of God, or are our eyes bad and only able to see the things of the world? This is easy. Go home at night... Get your kids in bed, and then just turn on the news for three or four hours, right? Or turn on Netflix for a few hours. And we all do this from time to time. And I'm not saying it's inherently bad, but if this is our habit every day, just drinking in whatever's being fed to us, and maybe TV's not your thing, but you grab your computer, you grab your iPad, you grab your phone, and you just take it in. And let me just live on what the algorithm feeds me for the next few hours. The question is, what are we focused on? Because what's coming in affects the way we live. And the call here is to to focus on the things of God, to see things that are eternal, to remember what really matters, and to let that change the way we live. If your eyes are good, if what you're bringing in is good, then light. Reminds me of Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Paul is trying to take our, our gaze and fix it upwards and say, there's, there's, there's more to be seen, there's more than what's just right in front of us, there's more than what Netflix is, is, is recommending. You can watch a movie tonight, it's fine. But, but the, the, the thing is, like, what are we giving our lives to primarily, right? What are we focused on? Because we can just go from day to day to day and never look ahead, and we're, we're living for, for, for just right here. I just want to be comfortable for today, and get, I'm going I'm to work, I'm going to get my check, and I'm just going to be comfortable. And this passage is saying, where's your treasure? Where's your focus? What are you aiming at? And if I could bring it back one more time and say, church, we collectively could be guilty of the same thing. Just, just coming together and having our community, which I love, and we could never be looking forward and really investing in the things that are to come. Truly concerned about eternal things. Where we give our attention will affect our hearts. And if we give an unbalanced proportion of our attention to the ideas and philosophies of the world, it will make an impact. And here's what's scary. Look at the last part of verse 23. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Our eyes, our focus could be so bad that we think we're seeing light and we're really seeing darkness. We could get on this political thing and say, this is the answer. And we think we're, we're fighting for things that are good and right. And really, we couldn't be farther potentially from what God wants us to love and pursue. Right? We could get caught up in this wave of, I'm doing what is good, all the while forsaking the eternal kingdom of God. So say, it's called, I think, a warning to, to be careful. Lest what we think is light is actually Darkness. So let's be careful. Set your heart on the things of God. Look at the light, know the light, be able to distinguish the light from darkness. As the people of the kingdom of God, we should have hearts that are so given to the things of God that we can tell the difference. There are earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, and we must choose what to pursue. There is light and darkness, and we must choose what to focus on. And then third, there are two masters, and we must choose who to serve. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a third illustration, basically the same point. There's a choice to be made. Are we going to serve the things of God and the kingdom of God, or ourselves and the things of the world? To understand the picture, we have to recognize that when he talks about serving a master, this is, different than us serving a, an employer because you could have two jobs and, and fully be devoted to both of those workplaces. In, in a master-slave situation, a master would hire a slave, and, and don't think early American slavery. Think something a little more pure than this. But a, a master would hire a slave, and they would, that slave was devoted to that master. would give his life to serving the one who hired him. And that loyalty could not be split between two masters. It's not possible. You'll give yourself to one and not fully to the other. The call of the slave is to be fully devoted to that one master. And there's some hyperbole, I think, in that middle part of the verse, that he'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. But Jesus is just helping us to see that we can't have divided loyalties. There are heavenly treasures and earthly treasures. There's light and darkness, and there's two masters. And Jesus says clearly, we cannot serve them both. And the way he says it is, you cannot serve God and money, which just reminds us this is a passage about money. But it's not only about money, money represents the things of earth. So we can love and live for the things of God, or we can love and live for the things of earth. We have to choose. And yet I put a parenthesis here on my paper because as I'm saying all this and I've been thinking through this this week, I don't want to not say this. God is the giver of good gifts. God is the giver of food and drink and enjoyment. God is the creator of of beauty and everything we see. He's given us the ability to work and to earn and to be satisfied with what he gives us. He's given us capacity to enjoy the things of earth. And some have taken this passage and held it in isolation and said, forget everything earthly and only live here. And I think that's an unhealthy thing. The question is, it's a a question of priorities, right? What's your greatest love? What are you truly living for? What are you truly investing in? What are you truly focused on? And so recognize this that we can love Him, and then our love of our family flows out of that. And we can love Him, and the way we handle our money flows out of that. We can love Him, and the way we steward our time flows out of that. We can love Him, and the way we enjoy Earth flows out of that. So it's about priorities. We love and serve Him, and everything else is calibrated by our affection for Him. The questions must be asked, where is our treasure? How is our vision? Who is our master? Who are we living for? And, and, and remember that when we live for Him, there's eternal reward. But the temptation is just to live for, for, what's, for what's right here, which makes it really hard to fight sin doesn't it? Because sin is attractive. We see things we want and if all we see is is right here, then we, the eternal, that's not even on the radar. Focusing here, having the wrong treasure and focus limits our effectiveness with the gospel. Because we don't see our coworkers as people who may need Christ. We see them as leverage in our career path. So why don't we, we don't trust God the way we should because we only see the here and now and we forget that God has an eternal plan that we can't see. To go back to Hebrews 11, we see the reality that as we live for the things of heaven, we may not see all the benefits here and now We're drawn to live for money because we see the immediate benefits of money. We're drawn to living for ourselves because we see the immediate benefits of living for ourselves. But when we live for eternal things, we may not see the benefits right away. We have to trust God that they're greater. So I just want to encourage you this morning to to consider your heart. Because let's just be, be honest with ourselves. Some of us are wasting our days thinking only about today. We're missing the opportunities that God has given us to advance his kingdom in the world. We're busy, we're tired, money is tight. All true things. We're called to live for something greater. We'll talk next week about anxiety. Because some of us don't think about the future because we're so worried about today. And so part of this is being able to let go and to trust God. So that's next week. But today the question is, how do we use our time? How do we use our money? Where do we give our attention? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. He was living for what's ahead. And this is the way Jesus is calling us to live. He's calling us to be people who desire a better country. Those for whom God has prepared a city those who are willing to give it all now, knowing that we will rise again to a better life. A life that's been made possible by Christ. And before we end, I want to say this, because you may be here, and you could take away from from everything that's been said up to this point, that the way I gain right standing with God is by giving my money and my time and my attention. And I just want to remind you, you'll never earn favor with God by writing a check. The only way we come to God is through faith and repentance. Jesus came, he died, and it's through him that we're reconciled to God. We can't earn it, we never could. The check's not big enough. We repent of our sins. We place our faith in Christ. And God in his mercy and grace will forgive us. And the Bible says he'll transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And everything we've talked about this morning is what it looks like to live in that kingdom now that we've been brought into it. Okay? So all of this isn't how we come in. This is how we live now that we are his. Because now that we're his, we recognize there's something greater and bigger worth living for. And so the call for those of us who are his is this. Consider your treasure, check your focus, and answer the question, who am I living for? May we individually, as a church, live for the kingdom of God and the praise of our Father. Let's pray together.